Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 45, and we have finished Words of Radiance. We are through book two of the Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. We are talking all the way from episode or from chapters 81 through to the epilogue. We're going to be focusing this week on this week's episode on chapters 81 through 84. Next week we will be doing the same uh, same format, but ep- or chapters eighty five through to the epilogue. So, for for more extreme end of the book conversations, come back for next week. But for this week, uh, ha- do have read the entire book because we're not going to avoid spoilers for the whole book. That being said, uh, Paul, how are you after finishing Words of Radiance? I'm okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm feeling really good. Really good. That was uh that energy did not do it justice. This uh book, the ending was very amazing. I I know how to emotionally cope with it. So yeah, it it was really great. Having a good week. Ready to talk about this. Awesome. And Elliot, how are you? I'm not sure how I'm going to make it through these episodes because I was left pretty speechless after this last segment. I mean, the the big hits, just like the big reveals just kept coming and coming and coming. It was just like, wait, what? Wait, what? Wait, what? Like, these yeah. eyes could not get any wider kind of stuff. Yep. When <laughs> When you get to this part in the book, you are, what, 2000 some pages into this story and you're you're invested at this point you know like you you've come this far and so these reveals actually mean something to the to people who get here so there's plenty of reveals to be had and we'll get there in in due time elliot do you have two words to summarize specifically chapters 81 through 84 of words of radiance yeah, there's no way that I could do it. The, the whole section here with, with two words, do it justice. But I, I did particularly love one little section. So I'll pick two words that, uh, that we can talk about for that section. And so my, my two words for this are kept running. Kept running. I know, I know what that's about, but I'll ask you here in a second. And Paul, do you have two words to summarize this episode? How dare you ask for only two words for this episode, Trevor? It's, um, I... it's tradition. I have to, but I completely understand that there's no way you could do that. Exactly. Um, I, I'll be honest. I do not have two words for you right now. Um, I could come up with words externally from the story. It would just be my like emotions throughout. Uh, I'm very impressed with, with these chapters, how well I... Like stuff would happen, I'm like, oh, that's crazy, and then something else would happen, I'm like, oh, that's crazy. You're like, and it just kept going and kept going, and I really had no time to breathe. Yeah, you. I'll get to there in a second, but let's use Elliot's two words and talk about this episode.
All right, Elliot. Kept running. I think we all know what this refers to, but you can go ahead and explain yourself a little bit. Yeah, this one's pretty pretty obvious. No secret hidden meaning here. I I'll be honest, when when Wit first told the story of Fleet to Kaladin, I I was kind of left like, you know, what? Why why is that important? Why is that cool story bro you know what's what's up with that but i love the way it now played into kaladin's story i loved the moment where Cal like kaladin gets it he he finally gets it and says fleet kept running and just that whole kind of metaphor of pushing yourself to do what's right to do what needs to be done even if you know you can't make it even if you know you're going to die even if you're giving every last thing you have you still keep running and that is so inspirational and awesome and i loved that moment for kaladin i think i think that actual quotes in in chapter 82 i'll have to read it when we get there i think we'll be doing a lot of reading in this episode and next week's episode combined yeah there's quite a bit of there's quite a few one-liners in these next uh in these next several chapters okay paul i'm gonna throw it over to you you and we're kind of jumping a little bit ahead but we gotta uh we gotta acknowledge this before we talk about boring stuff in chapter 81 you always had faith that Syl was coming back and in the way that she did, did that fulfill your expectations? Were you happy about it? How did, how was that reveal for you? It was, I think it was a really great reveal. Um, I didn't, I definitely didn't see it coming. I, I was pretty fairly confident. I want to say I was 70% sure Syl would come back. At some point, especially when put in the situation, I was like, okay, Kaladin's not just going to casually die right now. Um, and stuff like, the only way out of this is Syl comes back or something. And the way she comes back with, like, as the shard blade, I think I, I'm really curious to hear what Elliot has to say. Uh, because yeah. there's always kind of been the mystery about shard blades and Sprint and, like, are they? Are they not? Are, how are they correlated? stuff like that and i feel like we got a lot of clarity on that which was kind of neat but just like the emotional moment there where she comes back and then all of a sudden kaladin can heal his wind suck in stormlight do all his lashings like was really incredible and the fact he now has a shard blade um just incredible i had like a little emotional tear rolled down my face while reading it i didn't know what to do yeah well a while listening to it i should say um it was great long story short i i really liked that and i thought that was going to be the biggest reveal and there was just like many many things after that which was kind of why i was speechless because that was a great reveal and i was like whoa this is like the sander lynch like that's it right we found it and then there was many more but yes i'm very glad still is back um, i didn't see it coming that way but very happy with how it how it happened Elliot? I very much wasn't sure what was going to happen there, but the way it went down was everything I hoped it would be and more. I mean, that was 
that was right along the lines of I think what I talked about before of what I what I desperately hoped was going to happen is what happened and in such an awesome way as well and it oh, it feels so good to have Syl back like like I agree with Paul if you felt like she was coming back we I wasn't doubting but at the same time I didn't realize how much we had missed Syl until we had a until she was back and I was like ah okay this feels like Stormlight Archives again we've got Syl it's okay it's okay yeah and also uh, just another little comment about it the way she came back and how it kind of like I, I can picture it very well in a movie or show sense it kind of like cuts to her and she's like let me go back let me go back I imagine talking to um it's on her right or the storm father storm father yes um and i could just see it very like i could depict the moment very vividly um, and whenever she like forms as a shard blade in his hand, it was just like super, super cool, like incredible. Yeah, um, that's a little just teaser for what the, is happening at the end of this episode. Now we got to back up <laughs> and talk. Let's talk about chapter eighty-one, which is a full-fledged stre- strategic battle between the Alethi and the. Parshendi or Voidbringers, as as Dalinar coins them at the, towards the beginning of this chapter, they they've set up on this. The, the Alethi armies have set up on this central plateau, and the Parshendi come out of Narak, and all their eyes start glowing red, and they start chanting this song. And at first, Dalinar was going to do like a siege. He was going to do a very slow strategic battle here and play more defensive and that type of thing. But Relaine, once as soon as he hears the music says, you have to stop that song. Like there nothing else matters. You have to go stop them. And so after he's already sent after Dalinar's already sent the orders to do a slow siege, do a slow uh battle, he sends another message immediately that says, abandon everything I just said and go attack doesn't matter like what you're what what you have to do to do that go stop that song um which they they don't succeed but that's okay um <laughs> it's interesting to see the three different high princes and their motivations going into this battle uh elliot you have this on the outline did you want to talk about dalinar and how he pushes and uh motivates each of the three high princes in different ways he yes i did want to talk about this because he does exactly that he takes a different a different tactic a very intentional tactic with each one of the high princes and i thought it was really cool he you know the one who's kind of doubting and fearing he he challenges him and is like no we're gonna stand up and we're gonna fight today but then he turns to like sabariel and sabariel's like what inspirational speech do you have for me and I was like, nope, none. You're going to go sit in that tent and, and don't mess things up, you know? Yep. Which is exactly what Sabariel needed to hear. Sabariel just needed someone to talk and, you know, be like, all right, yeah, we're all going to die. It's cool. I'm going to go sit in that tent, you know? Just very... He told everyone what they needed to hear in that moment, which was, was, really, was really good. He had, he had a very classic like aragorn in front of the black gate speech for aladar but he also had a like 
he had a different speech for Roeon, and he came down to Roeon's level and talked him out of his out of his fear, out of his like panic that he was having. But Aladar, um, Aladar needed to hear the facts. Aladar is asking Dalinar, "Did you know this was going to happen as we came out here?" And Dalinar says, "Yes." And you and I have the opportunity to stop Voidbringers from coming back to Roshar and we are going to fight this even if we're going to lose and that's what motivates Aladar and then he talks to Roeon and says overcome your fear that's what that's your worst enemy right now is your is your your fear your cowardice he doesn't use that word but that's essentially the message and then yes he talks to Sabario and says I'm glad you brought your men uh, you're not going to be any use so go sit over there I'll let my shard bears lead your men so you can go have a picnic or whatever you need to do. Yep. It was a very good, very good pre pre battle inspiration there, both for the high princes and then the, the speech he gives to the, the entire army as well. I thought was, was really good. I, I particularly love the line towards the end of it. Um, I won't read. I won't, I won't read. I really want to read the whole thing, but we probably shouldn't in the interest of time for this one. There's, there's other things we need to read, but I, I particularly love the towards the end of it where he says, men, we will see miracles today, you know, fight, stand up. We are going to see things no man has ever seen. And that's exactly what they all see. You know, it's, this is a day of reckoning. Yeah. The taking this from Dalinar's perspective, the mo- the morning before Shalon shows him light weaving and Dalinar is 100% on board he's he's brought his army out here on based on his visions based on everything that's in his own mind but he finally sees something that is external from him that is proof to him that the knights radiant are returning and so he's 100% on board and that's where that speech comes from is if if we do what we're supposed to, we will be saved, and we will. We, I know this is the right thing to do, so we're going to do it. So that's where that speech is coming from. And then we cut over to Kaladin, who is searching for truth, having a little bit of a identity crisis moment and he seeks out i can never remember this name zile zile yep zile and i loved i loved this image of kaladin finds him right it's raining the storm is it's not full-on storm but it's it's raining they're in the middle of a storm where's zile oh he's just in a hammock strung up between two lightning rods in the middle of the storm like what an image (laughs) i i love zile he's like you said, he's strung he's strung up in a hammock, which I didn't remember um, until this read, and I was like, "Wait, really? That's really weird." Uh, he he's on top of like you you know where Renarin's climbing up to the roof of the of the arena and uh, of the training oh, yeah. grounds and throwing himself off. He's up there and just getting some time to himself away from the other Ardens, and he's just chilling in a hammock in the middle of the rain, and. Zyle has some very interesting words for for Kaladin, some very not helpful ones as well. But he he 
mentions that constant rain at without creme reminds him of home. Did either of you catch that? He said that constant like constant rain and w w without creme reminds him of home, and it's wait no does he talk about the Pure Lake? I don't remember. So, yeah, I don't I, remember the quote anymore. I I go ahead, Paul. I was gonna say I think I think you were right, and he says that, and it's like an allusion to the Pure Lake, or that's what my guess was. Um, but yeah, I didn't fully know what to do with that. Um, and yeah, I'm not 100% certain that that's correct either. But as far as I can remember, I think, I think that's what was was said there. I I think the way he references it is he says that the Pure Lake reminds him of home, right, and that. That the the little mini pure lake they've created to wash the sand in the the training arena is of course you know kind of similar to the pure lake so that brings up the pure lake he says it reminds him of home but I noticed that he didn't say this little lake reminds me of my home the pure lake right. he said the pure lake reminds me of home which if you pause for a second it's like well hang on a second then where's home if if the pure lake reminds him of home that that kind of sort of implies that like of all the places on roshar that remind me of home the most it's the pure lake and th those are my words not and, his but that's kind of the way i read it and therefore his home wouldn't be on roshar it, exactly right. exactly and so that was the note i came out of that passage was well hold on a second are you not from roshar we already kind of maybe got some hints that he's a little different than everybody else so that's it's not a shock but little little hint there maybe he he certainly has some hoid vibes especially in this scene um he's kind of just chilling off by himself and he says some random motivational line and then our our heroes go on with their lives and apply it um he he almost strikes me as like the inverse of hoid or something like <laughs> seems to be like a great fighter himself um right and we don't know anything about hoyt and fighting but he he's like a battle of the wit type of guy right his name's wit um yeah and zyle seems like he's not much of a talker even here like the things he says i get i get the vibe that he's like he'll like say something that's very inspirational and very helpful but it's very like do what lets you sleep at night like very like short concise uh almost like an i don't care like leave me alone um in a sense and i feel like hoyt is very much like the we, we've seen enough to know that hoyt is extremely like pushy with like talking and riddles and all this stuff and hoyt, everything and hoyt goes out that. of his way hoyt goes out of his way for the show he's he's definitely there for the the presentation of his story to Kaladin and Zyle, if Kaladin's going to come to him, yeah, he'll talk to him and he'll say whatever he needs to hear so that he'll leave him alone. But you're right that, but between the two of them, they're both giving advice, but one of them is definitely willing to give it better than the other. Zyle's like the, the grizzled old veteran, the, the grumpy old man that, if you can get past the outer layer, he's got just as much wisdom as the, you know, the wit does, but you got to kind of drag it out of him a little bit. There's another nugget 
in this little section. Paul, you probably didn't catch it because it's, I only noticed it because I was reading it and it was in front of me. In this conversation, Kaladin asks Zyle, do you know where the king's wit is? His response back is interesting. Zyle says, that fool, dust? Not here, blessedly, why? Dust is capitalized, almost like it's the name, almost like that's the name he's referring to wit as. And... That, that it, the conversation just continues on like Callan didn't even notice or, or whatever, but I think we might have another name for wit right there. That's exciting. So what do we think it means? I have two initial guesses. First of all, also, I did not pick that up from the audiobook, Um So I'm very glad you pointed that out. Um, I could see it meaning a few things, like he's just old as the dust. Um, I also think of dust bringer. That's what sticks out to me the most. I don't know if he's like the, mm-hmm. I don't know, a dust bringer or like. Yeah, I'm not sure what to make of it. the dust bringer honor blade or something. I don't know. We know he's like definitely fishy, but um yeah, I don't know what to make of it either. And I would not have caught it either if it hadn't been capitalized. The only the mm-hmm. fact that I saw it capitalized made me think, wait, is that a name? So, yeah. What do you think, Trevor? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no thoughts? No thoughts, only Stormlight. Okay. Yeah, I I can't give you anything there. Sorry, I I I thought about it. I really did, but I'm like, eh. Okay. I will say you don't have to wait too long to find out. That's nice to know, actually. Thanks. Um. Yeah. So once Kaladin goes and talks to Zyle, he kind of has this whole premonition of he's trying to figure out what he can do to wrong to right his wrongs. Um, And that was kind of a big question we had also, like we've seen how he's killed Syl or like gotten rid of her, how he's broken his bonds to protect people. Um, And it's kind of like, how can he fix that now? Um, and it very much had to be like the realization of not doing something like selfishly but protecting people whether or not you like them or not Um, and so he I feel like Kaladin mentally kind of has that breakthrough at this point and, and you had noted Elliot that he like Kaladin finally understands why it's not okay to kill Elokar um, and he thinks to his brother Tian um stuff like that and so it was like kind of his big like personal breakthrough there um and then later we see that come to fruition with the reference of uh, Cell coming back but yeah with that and then the this is all kind of happening i'm assuming a little like right before the battle starts kind of like breaking out the parshendi like the I almost said stormtroopers. 
the Stormform Archenby. <laughs> um, Just call them that from now on. I'm on yeah, board with that. Yeah, the Stormtroopers, they, they start shooting the red lightning blasts. Um, super intense. I, um, and stuff. Everyone's very like worried at this point. And uh, yeah, stuff kind of starts progressing there. It's like right on the cusp of, of battle. I almost think of like the Helm's Deep scene the Orakar like stomping their their weapons and stuff and making tons of noise like the battle's like about to begin. There's just a ton of things going on. Um then it kinda goes goes crazy. It it does indeed the the battle battle launches it gets pretty pretty epic i i did want to say one thing on the whole tn part of it before we we jump into the battle for sure i i did like that moment where kaladin finally does kind of put two and two together and realize that the way he's treating elokar in his mind is the same way that the squad that tn got assigned to treated him that whole heart-wrenching scene where Kaladin tries to save Tien. He can't, and he watches them sacrifice Tien because he's the weakest of the group in order to save themselves. Right. And Kaladin realizes, oh, dang it. That's what I'm doing to Elokar. I'm looking at Elokar and saying, you're a terrible king, and just using that to justify removing him from office so that we can put a better king in place. And he, it, it hits him there in that moment, as the rain's pouring down on him that that's not okay. Yeah. For sure. And what I really love going on in this chapter. So normally I'm like really gripped into a particular storyline or, or subject that I don't like all the switching around. Um, I'm like, come on, come on, let's go back. Let's go back. I want to see what's happening with a specific one here. It was really great because Every everything was ramping up. So we have Kaladin, who honestly at this point kind of the least exciting one. He he's kind of having his like emotional, um, like personal realization, like an epiphany moment. Yeah. Um, and then there's Adolin and Dalinar and all of the high princes like gearing up like at the edge of a battle right now. Um about that's about to go like full force and we also have like shallan a little bit um that she's going to try to find the portal to your theory and all this stuff there and everything is kind of ramping up um i'm curious for elliot like with all these things kind of being put in motion at this point do you remember which you were most like intrigued by or what you were most excited or the one you you really wanted to to see come into fruition first. They were kind of all moving together, so it was just really intense all around. But just what were your thoughts on each of them? Like, what were your favorites? I that's a really good question. Through this this last section here, and I think the first time that I read through, I was just so caught up in the excitement of it all that it was just like every page I wanted to, I, I didn't care who was on the next page I just wanted to know what was going to happen next and right we're bouncing back and forth between Adolin, Dalinar, Shallan, 
Kaladin and in every single storyline, I wanted to know what was next and, and who was going to do what next. And so I don't know that there was any one particular that I was, was mostly caught up in the first time around. Second time around, as I was going a little slower and taking my notes, I think the Dalinar storyline, this gets into the ones we'll talk about next week. Dalinar's storyline, I think, is the most intriguing to me here. The Kaladin one is great. Kaladin's Kaladin storyline, just in general, is awesome. But the Dalinar one here really got me got me interested the second time around when I was when I was looking closer. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about those next week. For sure, I it, it is very favorite here. I didn't have a super standout either. Most of the time when we're reading. It feels like one of our storylines is lagging behind in excitement yeah. a little bit. Like either Shalon has a lot of crazy stuff going on and Kaladin's is slower or vice versa. But here all three of them are just at like the top of a mountain, like about to tip over the edge, like crazy stuff going on. So you're just kind of on the edge of your seat the entire time. Um which was which was super super exciting and, and awesome. Um I might skip a little bit here, but I do want to push to Kaladin making the decision to go and help Elokar and the state that he finds Elokar in. Uh, so Kaladin walks in on Elokar, and Elokar is pretty far gone drunk. He's like he's able to wake him up. He's not completely passed out like Dalinar would have or Dalinar was uh, the night Gavilar died, but he's he's pretty far out there, and uh, Kaladin's doing his best to carry him through these corridors to get him away from the assassins that he knows is coming. Also, side note, Kaladin takes down two bodyguards in his state, like, without Stormlight. He kind of just takes them both down, like, in two seconds, and yeah, he's not even supposed to be walking. Yeah. <laughs> still take down two armed guards. Yeah. And and then he drags Elokar, I don't know, a couple hundred couple hundred yards through the the palace out to the back door where where Seth came in. Um but I just wanted to highlight the mental state that Elokar is in. Elokar is not in a good in a good spot right now. He's been told by Kaladin who Elkar kind of secretly looks up to that you're a bad king. And that is confirmed all of Elokar's like worst nightmares. He's he's always been afraid that he is the the bad Colin, you know? Like he his his sister Yasna is this super renowned scholar. His his mother is this super renowned engineer. His father was the the great King Gavilar who united Al- Alethkar. And, you know, his uncle, his his cousin, Adolin, is the, the fine duelist. Like, everybody has their title, and Elokar is told by Kaladin, you're a bad king. And so Elokar is not in a good good uh, good spot here. I feel I feel bad for him. Yeah. Not to mention, so at this point, when he's being carried, right, one of the guards actually gets up and stabs him, right? Like, the guard isn't quite out. Stabs him in the side, so on top of him being very drunk, um, he gets stabbed in the side, so it's just not his best night. Um, 
but yeah, but Kaladin is full on in protection mode here, and and he stays with Elokar, um, is trying to find help. This is very much Kaladin's character, so we see him in a lot of situations throughout the story that it's like he can't do anything here, but like, like man, is he gonna try still? Right. Um, if he doesn't have Stormlight, he doesn't have any way to get the scout here. He's limping himself. Like, it's just a whole mess. And then he runs into. Moash and Graves. Yeah, he he runs into the actual assassins who are coming to kill him, and it's just a whole mess. And and, and this... that brings me to my my favorite moment from the this set of chapters here. And Cal, just like you described there, Paul Kaladin is is at the end of his of his capabilities. He's injured himself more trying to drag Elokar out of here and save him. He's bleeding. Elokar's bleeding. They're both about to bleed out and die. Graves and Moash show up. But here's what Kaladin says, and I want to read it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna edit it slightly because it's it's actually a dialogue between Kaladin and, and Elokar, but Elokar's just responding to like, huh? What? <laughs> like in between the different Kaladin lines. So I'm just gonna read the Kaladin lines. Fleet kept running. He couldn't win, but he kept running. And when the storm caught him, it didn't matter that he'd died because he'd run for all he had. We all die in the end, you see. So I guess what truly matters is just how well you've run. And that is, one, awesome. And two, such a cool example of living out the whole journey before destination mantra. That, that Kaladin has adopted as a Knight's Radiant of saying, getting there, giving my all, keep on pushing, even when I'm going to, even when I think I'm going to fail, that is what is most important, not whether you actually succeed in getting where you were going. If, if, if Kaladin had failed to save Elokar here, he still would have done everything possible he could have, and it would have been the right thing. It would have been the right thing to do even if he didn't save him. I love this passage. I think that this might be my favorite passage right here of, of all of words of radiance. Yeah. There's some in the next, I believe it's the next chapter after that, that Kaladin has made this decision. He's dragging Elokarth, um through the, the tunnels here and Graves and Moash show up. There's some very, good dialogue between Moash and Kaladin here. Moash is so Moash is so convinced that he's justified here and Kaladin is trying everything he can to convince Moash otherwise that like Kaladin is telling him I've been where you're at. Like I could, I totally understand why you feel what you're feeling but it's wrong. Um and here's my uh, my second favorite quote um, from Words of Radiance. It's some dialogue between Moash and Kaladin. My favorite comes uh, next week in the uh, two chapters later, but this is my second favorite one. You'd attack me, Kaladin said. Your captain, your friend. Don't turn this around on me. Why not? Which is more important to you? Me or petty vengeance? He murdered them, Kaladin. 
Moash snapped. That sorry excuse for a king killed the only family I ever had. I know. Then why are you protecting him? It wasn't his fault. That's a load of... It wasn't his fault, Kaladin said. But I'd be here even if it had been, Moash. We have to be better than this, you and I. It's... I can't explain it, not perfectly. You have to trust me. Back down. The king hasn't yet seen you were graves. We'll go to Dalinar, and I'll see that you get justice against the right man, Moa, Rashon, the, the one truly behind your grandparents' deaths. But Moash, we're not going to be this kind of men. Murders in dark corridors, killing a drunk man because we find him distasteful, telling ourselves it's for the good of the kingdom. If I kill a man, I'm going to do it in the sunlight, and I'm going to do it only because there is no other way. Sorry, Cal. It's too late. You won't have him. I won't back down. I guess I wouldn't want you to. There's a lot of parallels in Moash and Kaladin's like backstories of how they feel their family was wronged and they're they're trying to get like revenge against the Light Eyes and they they have this common understanding of Light Eyes are terrible. They kick Dark Eyes whenever they can and we're gonna we're gonna rise up and be better than they are but right here moash and kaladin disagree and go separate ways um in their in their thought process ironically in both of those parallel storylines they both end up becoming light eyes they do So hopefully we'll have some of the first light eyes to. They're definitely not the first light eyes to be good because we know that they're good light eyes like Dalinar and such. But I, it is kind of ironic that they became the the thing that they really hated, not in a bad way, but like the physical, like having lighter eyes, having light eyes. Um, they've always loathed people with light eyes, and now I guess they can loathe themselves. So Kaladin already has been doing that from what we've seen. I don't know about Moash, but um... I'm curious to see where that's going to go because now we have two examples of dark eyes that have become light eyes and we, we've gotten a few hints that this is going to become more and more common of people that are going to discover their their surge binding abilities that will potentially, if they go far enough, sounds like become light eyes. So how is this going to change that cultural structure of light eyes and dark eyes? Are they going to view it the same or different? I wonder if that's going to be explored a little more as we, we keep going. Right now it's just a social structure, but we're beginning to like connect the dots of, oh, that's probably because back in the day, Knight's Radiance, like if you ascended to... In Kaladin's case, his third ideal, he became a light eyes. So that's probably where that that comes from. Is if you're a light eyes, then that means you have your 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 shard blade. Um, if you're a if you're a knight's radiant. Back over to the battle for a bit. Let's do it. 
before we talk about uh, Sill coming back here in a bit. Um, so Adolin has a very interesting kind of side story with Eshenai here. He he cuts his way into this hill because he figures it's hollow um, from what he's understood what, from what Shalon's doing. And he begins to cut through the backside of this, these Parshendi lines into the choir singers that are behind, like kind of behind the soldiers. And they're in this little, they're in this trance and Adolin finds himself like slaughtering so many Parshendi that are, that are singing. And something that's Elliot put in the outline here, that's interesting to pick up. The thrill doesn't come to him. Like he, like we has been referred to back in the way of Kings is usually when Parshendi fight Alethi, the Alethi uh, pull on this thing called the thrill and it gives them like this, this taste for battle, this lust for battle, and it lets them push through and do what needs to be done as they, as they validate themselves here. But Adolin doesn't have it, but he notices that Eshenai does when he's fighting Eshenai. Any, any ideas here? What's happening here? I I was hoping that Paul would have some thoughts on this on this too, but I I did note this, and I, I I'm not sure what's going on here. We had some sort of references to the thrill in the Teravangian chapter we got recently. We learned that maybe it's somehow tied to Spren, or maybe this one specific Spren. Not really sure exactly what it is, but they talk about how it's like moving. It, it, the thrills being felt in other areas now or something like that. So that made me all kind of think that, oh, okay, whatever's caused moved away from the Shattered Plains and is somewhere else. So that would explain why Adolin's not feeling it. But that definitely would not explain why Esh and I still is. So I'm, I'm confused. I'm definitely confused about the origin of the thrill and what's going on there. Paul, did, did you have any guesses there? So I, I'm thinking of other times that we've seen this. Like the biggest thing is we've seen with Dalinar how he used to have this thrill, and that was the Blackthorn, yeah. right? Um he could just go through battle nonstop. Um and we've as much as I can remember, I think he's the only one that I remember struggling with that. Um and I took it as a like he's getting older and wiser. And sees like and just has a desire for not like senseless killing, but like some solution to be found aside from that. And I almost just thought about it of Adolin kind of growing up a little or like just having a different view of it. I didn't think of it as like an external force entirely. because um, I mean it talks about how Right, he he's killing these Parshendi, and they like they're not fighting back. They just kind of come out of their trance right before they, like as he approaches, right before they die, and then moves on and stuff. Um, so yeah, I I, I kind of just thought of this as like a normal thing, like you would feel like it's one thing whenever you're fighting for your life, and there's one thing where you're just like running through a group of people killing them mm -hmm. and stuff and i kind of just equated it to that um not as like an external like spren thing or something 
Yeah, I'm not sure what to think. I am, but my opinion doesn't matter. I agree. <laughs> Adolin tricks Eshenai and kind of shoulder checks her into the chasm, gets saved by a couple bridgemen. Predictions? Is Eshenai dead? No. It didn't show her really die, so... <laughs> she didn't die on yeah. camera, so she's still alive? Yes, exactly. She fell, like... Oops, she fell. She's wearing shard plate, right? She's fine. She's in storm form. I'm surprised she didn't just jump back out of the chasm or something. <laughs> it was two. Yeah. I just jumped right back and got out of Adolin's like, oh, oops. <laughs> I hope that didn't make you mad, you know? Um... Yeah, there's no way Eshenai's dead casually. Like, well, if she died, honestly, it wouldn't be that big of a deal, I don't think. But I don't think that, that she would just fall and that's the end of it. There's going to be, like, a on-camera death, you know? So. I, I, too, was fully expecting her to come right back out of that chasm. She's in storm form, and she's wearing shard plate. Like, there's a lot of reasons why... She could have survived that. I'm I'm fully expecting her to still be alive. And two, if you just look at the numbers, if you just look at the number of people, since we're, we're spoilers to the end of the book here, the number of people who are supposed to be dead and are not, there's a lot of a lot of reason to believe that Eshenai is not going to be dead here. I wonder if we could count them all without forgetting anybody. I I have that in my notes for the next one. Don't worry. <laughs> Perfect. Even so, but even if she did survive the fall, there's an ever storm and a high storm on top of her, like within the hour. Do you think she That's survived like, that? She is like a high storm, right? I don't know. She's storm form. It's her playground. I don't know. She'll be we, fine. We've seen her walk into a high storm and walk out. Just That's fine. true. Yeah, I Trevor's guess that's true. Trying to stir pot and yeah, nice try, nice, nice try. try, nice try. Yeah, I did I, try. Grant, granted, <laughs> this is a new level, right? I mean, Everstorm it seems to be more powerful than what we've seen before. That in the Zeth and Kaladin scene, it's throwing plateaus up into the air. Like this is this is a new level of force, but there's no way Ashenai's dead. No way. Gotcha. All right, we haven't mentioned Shalon yet. She's off on her own little escapade trying to find the Oath Gate. And she finds she's mapping out the, the Shattered Plains what episode or chapter eighty one, maybe. And one of the scouts says, Oh, you drew this one wrong. That it's not shaped that way. And Shalon turns back to him and says, what do you mean? Like, I I know what I'm doing. It it's definitely shaped that way. And he said, "No, it's it's a circle instead of an oval." And then, uh, she's and then she said, "Well, that that would mean it's different than what it's on the the other side. Like, what's the mirror image?" And then it dawns on her, "Oh, that's my that's my cue. We're going over there to see what's what's different about it." And there's this dome in the middle of the 
um, in the middle of this tall, perfectly round uh, plateau here. And in the middle of it is this shard, like, oath gate room, um, which I don't know. I don't think she... Does she open it in 84? Not yet. They try. They at least are trying. I, I mean the room. I don't mean the gate itself, but I mean, like, do they explore the room no. in 84? They do get into the room. Because they get into the room, she finds the keyhole, and she tries Renarin's blade in the keyhole, and it doesn't work. Right. And I think that's as far as they get in 84. Gotcha. The... The room here is really cool. It's is really well pre uh, presented, described, I guess. You say in, that it's it's like a circle and it has 10 uh, spokes to this wheel, more like 11 because there's this little tiny one for Urethiru, which is like a tower, and then 10 kingdoms and different oath gates and you kind of just spin it to this one whichever one you want to go to and poof so yep easy as that poof little little sci-fi in our fantasy uh uh fantasy realm here any what, what are you guys's thoughts on oath gates we can we can spoil the next couple chapters and talk about oath gates real quick they're fine <laughs> okay were you excited to see Urethiru, or did you not care? I was definitely excited. Um, I, I thought it was really cool, like, the, the little keyhole itself, like, fitting a shard blade, and then it was made out of shard material. I'm very confused with that, but also, like, same. I just didn't question it too much. I was like, ooh, like, okay. Um, does that mean... Exciting. Does that mean the oath uh, gate is a spren? Because shard blades are spren? He was. Yeah, the Oathgate is is interesting. I I too wonder is the thing a spren because we learn or we're about to learn that shard blades are spren. So is this keyhole made of shard blade metal also have to be a spren? Like, how does that work? That seems to follow the logic there. Not really sure. Uh, I got to admit, I was expecting, like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Stargate or any of the iterations of, of that and this big, like, vertical circle portal that everyone goes through. That's kind of what I was envisioning in my mind. And so for this to be just like this horizontal platform that you you turn the key and everything on the platform goes is is a little different and kind of cool. I like it. Definitely a little, little sci-fi there. I, I do definitely have questions of, like, what exactly goes with you, you know, the clothes you're wearing apparently go. If you're holding, you know, a goat, is the goat going to go with you? You know, right. all of that, you know, what goes and what doesn't. If you're holding a rock, does the rock go? Uh, but that's probably just me thinking a little too hard about it. It, I thought it was cool. I thought it was good. If you're halfway on the plateau, does half of you go and you just die? Yeah, exactly. You know, like... <laughs> If you don't have enough stormlight, do you not go, or does some of you go? Not sure. Great questions. The important questions only. Right. Um. Jumping back towards Kaladin, 
Moash and Kaladin have this grand, intense, epic fight. No, I'm just kidding. Moash just punches his, punches Kaladin in the stomach, and that's that. <laughs> and Kaladin, all of Kaladin's like ribs break, and Moash says, "Oops, sorry, I didn't mean to hit you that hard. I just meant to knock you over." Because um, Kaladin can barely stand up as is, and as as Graves is trying to convince Moash to kill Kaladin because Graves thinks he's gonna turn them in, um, because Mo- Moash isn't really willing to admit this at the at this point, but Graves sees that Kaladin is one hundred percent going to turn them in, like it if they if they kill. Elokar and leave him alive he will talk to Dalinar about it so as Graves is trying to convince Moash to kill Kaladin Sil comes back do you guys want to talk about Sil returning and Kaladin's third ideal of I will protect those I will protect wait hold on Okay. Yeah. Okay. Side note. Big fan. Big fan. No, no. It's really okay. It's really, (laughs) really hard to talk about the right, uh, the right ideal at the right time because it's so easy to like just like accidentally just spoil something. Like, oops, that was definitely wasn't the fourth ideal. You, You know, something like that. So I gotta be really careful whenever I talk about ideals because they're very similar to each other. Anyway, so is the next one. I will protect. I will protect. Is that what you <laughs> for us? Elliot, can you read it for me? I can. So what he says here is, "I will protect even those I hate, so long as it is right." Thank you. Which I thought was really good. Yeah. That is a good one. And the the whole scene of like Sill cheering him on is so good. Like her her voice just appears. You know, he hears her voice and you just get really excited, like, oh Sill, she's back. And she's just, you know, kind of trying to say the words, say the words, say the words, say the words. And then and he gets it and she appears and she's a shard blade. And it's like, yes. Yeah. Ellie, I saw that you tagged yourself for Words of Radiant spoilers in the Discord earlier today. Yes. And there there was great discussion in our Discord probably about a month ago now. Nah, maybe even more than that. And there's a scene in the chasms where Shallan lends Kaladin her shard blade. And Kaladin turns to the sword and notices that it looks different than a lot of shard blades. And Kaladin mentions to himself that he sees a pattern running up and down the shard blade. And you got half of that. You're like, you you said this in the in the podcast, but you didn't put two and two together yep. that it could be pattern nope. as the shard blade. Nope. So we were laughing <laughs> at you in the Discord, in, in the spoiler Discord, to ourselves that you were so close that you said on the podcast that he notices it's different and he notices there's something weird about it. And then you just go on to something else. And we were, we were enjoying that, that you didn't quite, you didn't quite put that together. 
yes, shout out to all you guys in the the Discord channel, especially in our Words of Radiance uh, spoiler channel. Looks like you guys have had a whole bunch of of fun conversations in there. I was really excited today when I when I opened that for the first time, and I'll have to maybe spend a couple hours scrolling back through through that. If you're if you're not on our Discord channel, you should come check it out. We've got some really really fun stuff in there. So that that was that was fun. In that same, actually, it's the next chapter. Shalon is carving out the the cubby for Kaladin and Shalon to sit in, and her shard blade changes shape to a knife so that she can carve out the thing easier. And neither of you mentioned that. We had never seen a shard blade do that before, and neither of you mentioned that at the time, so I didn't. I wasn't going to bring it up, but Shalon's, Shalon's shard blade was definitely acting differently earlier in this book, and you guys didn't seem to catch it but it's obvious to us after after spren reveals that in the next part but we we were we were enjoying it i do kind of remember that now yeah i don't know why it didn't stick out to me more i just kind of took it as oh like shard blades will be shard blades you know like they they just kind of do their own thing um but yeah like not gonna get too much into it, but we see later with with Kaladin and and Sil that Sil will take any form of a weapon that yes. he needs at the time and stuff. He she she makes a remark like, "Oh, like you would probably prefer if I was a spear, wouldn't you? Like that's what you're used to and stuff," which is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I guess yeah. I I did actually write in my notes about the Shalon shard blade changing. I did. I did notice that, but but like you, Paul, I kind of just chalked that off as as, oh, okay, that's a cool new capability of shard blades we didn't know about before, and and didn't honestly think too too much about it. I I I was gonna bring it up in our episode, and we we ended up talking about a bunch of other stuff, and just didn't didn't have time, and I didn't think it was that important. But yeah, looking back on that, I see I see now how just how important that aspect of her shard blade was. There's a there's a funny meme in the Stormlight Archive Twitter where in this scene and Sil's coming back and she says, stretch forth thy hand, stretch forth thy hand, your will matters not talking to the Stormfather, where Sil's just suddenly become like old English, like speaking some, like for some reason. She's, you know, Sil's very casual and talks very innocently but suddenly out of the blue she's like stretch forth thy hand your will matters like she's she's speaking as if this was written in the 14th century or something like that and (laughs) there's this there's this meme i don't know if i can find it but it's sills just comes back with like a top hat and a cane and like a mustache and she's just like completely Mm -hmm. different than she was before did (laughs) did you guys catch the this weird dialogue that still has what coming back or cause on my read, it sounded like natural to me, but apparently a lot of people make fun of what Sil's saying here. It seemed fairly natural just because it was like a, I don't, it was more of like a triumphant entrance rather than just like a, Oh, Hey, like, by the way, stick your hand out, you know, like, right. Um, yeah, it was just kind of like an emotional like like if it were in the movie it would be where the music is like super ramped up like, you know, emotional moment. Stretch forth thy hand. Like 
it is pretty funny and like honestly thinking about it a little cheesy but like yeah it, it kind of sort of makes sense you know i didn't think i didn't really like think twice about it at least yeah i will say words of radiance would make a better movie than the way of kings i i, I, agree. I think it would be good we can talk more about that in our words of radiance recap episode that we'll have but just from a logistics standpoint the way of kings would not make a very good movie in my opinion and i think words of radiance really would make a good movie especially if uh like shallan being the main character you stick with her for the first half hour go through you know her caravan stuff meet a bunch of new characters and then uh have a epic battle at the end to just has more thematic elements of a movie. Any more thoughts on 81 through 84 before we talk about the true ending of the book next week? Only Stormlight. I, the only thing I want to mention, and there's not much to actually talk about, it's really just a, a name drop almost. Graves at the end of chapter 84 mentions the diagram just kind of offhand but that you know lit up a light bulb for me immediately it's like whoa wait a second Graves is tied to Teravangian somehow is he an agent of of Teravangian and we get a couple more hints toward this in the the next set of chapters so we can mention it maybe again but we don't get a ton of answers necessarily about who Graves is exactly, so I, I'm now intrigued. I, I, earlier, I honestly didn't really care too much about who Graves was. I just figured he was, you know, out for himself kind of guy, but he might be a little more important than I thought he was. I yeah, I will I will mention that as we as we close this episode out that the diagram was trying to split. Kaladin and Dalinar so that Zeth wouldn't run into Kaladin um, on the Shattered Plains and Graves was a part of that so um, as as Kaladin is swearing his third ideal uh, Graves is kind of rambling to himself of wait the diagram didn't mention about anything about that you would ascend he, it was just focused on keeping you away from Dalinar and that's all we that's all we really hear of him as he's running away, you know, screaming or whatever's happening. So yes, there is there is an interesting Teravangian twist to this uh, to this chapter. All right. Yep. I think that's it. Sounds good. With that, we will conclude this portion of closing out words of radiance thanks for joining me paul and elliot and we will continue talking about the end of the book next week see ya we can't wait